Welcome. You're listening to WO Voices, a podcast series from Women in Optometry magazine. I'm Marjolyn Bailefeld, editor of Women in Optometry. We're delighted you could join us. We're here today with Dr. Pam Lowe and Dr. Louise Glafani, two Chicago area ODs who in the past week or so have gotten gone through the training to become uh, COVID vaccinators. I'd love to hear a little bit about this. Dr. Lowe, you want to um, start and tell us what the, uh, uh, what the process was? Sure. So, you know, there's some good things that have come out of a pandemic as far as us as optometrists having to pivot to different ways we see patients, different ways we practice. And uh, we were never allowed telehealth privileges. And then boom, a pandemic hits. And then we found that was an efficient way to see patients. Well, how awesome is it now that we're in this mass vaccination process and now optometrists in Illinois have been approved if they have the appropriate training to uh, be vaccinators. So because we're, we have a long tradition of um, primary care and caring for all our patients in the community, being the trusted eye care providers, it, it was great to have the opportunity to now become vaccinators on the front lines for our patients. And it looks from the uh, photos that I saw on Facebook that you two were each other's partners. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we were. Um, you know, sometimes it uh, takes a, a colleague and a friend to motivate you and to give you courage to do things that maybe you're um, not used to doing and kind of out of your purview. Uh, you know, we we went to when we went to school, we weren't trained in injections, and so we've had to do that on our own, and uh, not often able to do that in practice. Uh, this was we saw this as an opportunity to use our skills, learn a new skill and, and help the public, you know. Um, so, yeah. So when Pam and I, we kind of do things together. So it's kind of nice. And, uh, you know, give each other support and, and confidence to do the class. Absolutely. Well, one thing Louise was remiss in saying, we actually have a tradition of um, advanced procedures because as Louise said in the 80s in our training, we did not train in injections, but um, we were, we've been hoping that we've been, we'll be able to do that one day in our practices. So Louise and I at Academy a number of years ago actually learned how to do intravenous injections and we were partners yeah, together back then. That was at Academy so, 18 years ago. <laughs> Right. <laughs> so what did you inject each other with? Saline. And although, saline. yeah, saline and a cocktail <laughs> afterwards. So <laughs> we were done in the afternoon. So we, we usually like to enjoy occasionally a Bloody Mary, a spicy Bloody Mary cocktail. So, but we did not inject each other with vodka. It was saline solution. <laughs> No, no, we did not. It was saline. I was hoping it would be Botox and she would do it a little higher uh, than my arm, but we didn't offer the Botox. So, so, so now that you have this, um, can you start, um, what does that allow you to do? So, uh, first of all, the course, what the course entailed was three hours of a online course and ICO, uh, was the, uh, um, the provider of that, Dr. Lindsay Six. Um, she did an amazing job. I didn't think I could last three hours listening to her in one sitting and she was amazing, very soothing. And, you know, just like we were in, in school, you needed to hear things reiterated more than once. So it's a three hour uh, in, uh, course on giving intramuscular injections and safety precautions and uh, maintaining uh, a good a good field when you're doing it. And then you take a course uh, given by the CDC. 
and uh, there were uh, several modules, uh, uh, one module on each of the available um, approved vaccinations, and then one on uh, safety precautions as well. Uh, Pam and I, because we're gunners, we did an extra course we thought we were supposed to do, so we put in an extra hour. Um, but then after that, then you take a one-hour workshop, as we, as you saw the images of us doing, practicing on a, a rubber arm and then on each other. And then after that, you get um, listed into a, um, a registry. You have to, uh, first of all, have CPR uh, accreditation as well. Um, but then you get listed into a registry and uh, let them know your availabilities. And when uh, they uh, have the need, they will contact us. Um, you have to take a course also uh, at the specific site. So, um, you know, cause each site will do a different injection type or, uh, mm -hmm. and you wanna know their protocols. So do you, anticipate the, the possibility of, of doing injections in your office? Uh, Dr. Not in the office because of the way these vaccines have to be stored. It's a very precise process. Right. So, you know, yeah. uh, pri primary care practices aren't set up for that. So we're really excited about just, again, joining our fellow healthcare professionals in the field yeah. at vaccination sites, but then we'll be there as approved, um, providers to really help with the effort. One thing I found that it does help in the office, though, is uh, patients knowing that we're capable of doing that. We've always been their trusted eye care providers. And you know, our patients who have especially been seeing us for years really trust everything that every question they may have about their health care. So we've seen that, that it's really heightened um, kind of that doctor-patient relationship because living through a pandemic is tough, right? We've had a lot of challenges over this past year. And so when they, they can go to us as their primary eye care providers and ask all those questions, now I'm even more proficient in answering those questions. And they know that I'm even capable of giving an injection. Mm. And so then that, that partnership, that trusted partnership is, is even heightened. I mean, the partnership between well, us and our patient is heightened because one of the things that they mentioned is in the course that we took is that uh, patients are more inclined either for themselves or for their children to uh, accept a vaccination when their doctor recommends it as opposed to them just hearing it from the pu a public source. And then that relationship between us and other healthcare givers, I think is huge too. I'm looking forward to getting to a vaccination center and working aside physicians, assistants or nurses or other doctors, you know, as they do the prep for the, um, the injection and then working together with them. I mean, we've all had our, our vaccinations. And so we've seen that it's a team effort and uh, it's kind of going to be cool to be part of that. Absolutely. So I, I what I think is an interesting is is you know the the perhaps the the mass vaccination clinics might be slowing down in in different parts of the country. Uh, this morning I read the statistics that nationwide fifty three percent of the eligible population have gotten at least their first dosage of the vaccine. So if we are as we are hearing about vaccine hesitancy. What role do you think optometry can have in, in kind of pushing that a little further? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, the hesitancy is definitely there. And again, it's that trusted relationship with our patients that is key. Uh, patients, um, you know, reassuring them that number one, you've been vaccinated. Number two, most of the 
the mm-hmm. folks in our practice, our support staff and techs have been vaccinated. Um, you know, so that that really lays a foundation for them to um, number one, know, hey, if, if it's great, great for my doctor and all the support staff here, you know, it's something I really need to consider. And saying, you know, look, I feel it's so important that I've decided to have advanced training and wherever the call is, is uh, when the call is given, we're happy to be part of that. So, um, you know, the hesitancy really comes from not trusting the source that you're getting your information. And as we know, that's been huge uh, this past year. There's so many things about public health that have been politicized. So it's really nice to take it out, the politics out of it, when you have that one-on-one conversation with your patients. Dr. Squilfani, there's there's opportunity to uh, to, to kind of uh, go deeper in the penetration in the Chicago area with, with the vaccine? Oh, without a doubt. Yeah. This morning there came out that in the Chicago area, it's about 35%, Cook County about 40%. Uh, and, you know, there, there's walk-in clinics everywhere. Um, even, uh, and I, I think it's exciting too, uh, the college campuses are opening up or, or you know, having um, that opportunity as a, a mother of a college kid, I was happy my son got vaccinated early, but now they can just walk in. And uh, I think that's really going to, that, that that's a good starting point, especially for that population who are more likely to spread it, maybe not be as um, ill by it, but they are spreaders. So, you know, I'm, I'm happy to get that group taken care of. And I have to think that getting more people involved in giving the vaccines might give a, a break to these to, to these clinic workers who have been, you know, busting their tail feathers for, for yeah, months. Yeah, absolutely. So in our local community, when the, the uh, pharmacies started offering, the Walgreens and the CVSs, um, of the world started offering it, you know, they mainly their pharmacists were the ones that are trained and they're already busy folks to begin with. And the yeah. appointments were very mm-hmm. hard to come by. And so it's great now that, hey, they can call on one of us and, and um, you know, make sure that those appointments that not only get that are already there get get taken care of, but maybe expand so that it's easier again for access to our patients. Yeah, Pim, I'm glad you brought that up about the pharmacies because they're inundated right now, right? And they can't do their primary job, and that is to make medications and you know for for patients. And so, um, if we can relieve some of their efforts, it would be great. <laughs> so you got to practice on a rubber arm. How'd you how'd you do on each other? Oh, we did. I, it was, Pam didn't even. You said you didn't even feel it the first time I did. I had to do it twice because yep. the guy, the the gentleman who was uh, a <laughs> pharmacist who was observing, uh, didn't realize I was in the action phase. He thought I was in the practice <laughs> phase. So I jabbed her, and I was about to release the medication, and he's like, "Stop it!" I like pulled it out right away because I listened to directions. So Pam looked at me. She goes, "Did you get me?" And I'm like, "No, I got to do it again." So <laughs> got to do it again. So I, I got a double bubble that day, but it was all good. Neither hurt. Yeah. Uh, you know, you, you feel it a little bit, just as most of us who've had vaccinations yeah. over the years. Yeah. You know, I and I think it's so it's so funny you say that because uh, I think the fear more is on our side, right? Because we haven't given injections in a long time. So we're like, I don't want to yeah. hurt. Um, 
Louise yeah. and my my future patients. <laughs> so uh, yeah, so that was the and then once we realized, hey, you know, didn't I'm glad Louise actually went first. So when I realized that I didn't hardly feel it, that she probably would hardly feel it either. Well, I also had to go first because I get a vasovagal response <laughs> that Pam's very familiar with. So I'm like, let me get it done and I, I will be okay. I was actually pretty, I, I think I'm overcome it because I was able to give two injections in a short period of time and receive one without getting a vasovagal. So that was good. <laughs> good today. Having, having gone through this, this extra training to, to be able to, to, participate in a in a more active way you know does that change your advice or your recommendations to your to your colleagues well I I would say I hope um, we serve as role models so that they understand that um, we should be part of the process we should be um, part of what we're preaching to to our patients and that vaccination is not um, something that you stand next to. It's something you should stand with and be part of. You know, if we want to eradicate this situation or reduce it as much as we can, we really have to be active and and and, and forward thinking. So uh, I hope I hope some of our colleagues out there uh, will follow follow suit. Um, and if it means even for them to get themselves vaccinated, I hope that we made a difference there. Absolutely. And one of the other main points is just really future scope of practice for optometrists. You know, we're a legislated profession. And if we can show, hey, we're not only capable, but we're here when called on, um, I think that speaks volumes for any scope of practice expansions that we want to have in the future. And, and I, I, I just want to put a kudos out to the Illinois College of Optometry, who were just so ready to give this course and prep for it and our state association. I mean, without their support and their, uh, you know, they put it together very quickly and uh, thoroughly. And I, I think they really deserve a lot of credit for it. For sure. How many people showed up? Maximum capacity. We filled the room. So the interest is there. <laughs> And uh, excellent. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. and, and, and Dr. Lowe, do you feel uncomfortable ever if patients ask about vaccination status of your, of your, of, you know, your own or of your staff? Is that something you talk about? Absolutely. We like to be very open with our patients. Um, so when that subject comes up, we actually tout that, you know, we believe in the science behind this pandemic and what's going on and to protect you, number one, as a patient, and of course ourselves, we can't be effective for patients if, if we're not nice and healthy. So, you know, we, that, that's our policy. We highly recommend that we follow CDC guidelines. We follow the science behind this pandemic and then pivot to wherever that takes us. Mm-hmm. And it is a process, right? The longer we're, you're part of um, this terrible uh, virus goes on and we know it's mutated, it, there's constantly things to learn. Just like in, in everyday practice, there's constantly new things to learn from all the new research going on, be it glaucoma, macular degeneration, corneal disease, you know, new contact lens technologies. And that's what I find is so cool about our profession. There's always something new to learn. And, you know, it's important. We, we spent you know, many years preparing and many dollars uh, preparing to become, you know, high quality um, eye care providers. So it's so important that we continue that that um, 
that tradition and take it to the next level whenever we can. Dr. Lowe, Dr. Sclafani, thank you so much for for coming out, telling us about this experience and, uh, you know, being a part of the big fight here. Hey, thank you. And thank you to women in optometry. We we love every part of what women in optometry stand for. And, and thank you, Marjolyn, for always bringing uh, the hot topics to the forefront. And uh, we certainly appreciate the opportunity for us paisans to get together whenever we can. So uh, thank you. Thanks so much. <laughs> thank you. Thank you for listening. I hope you join us again next time on WL Voices. If you'd like to be part of our podcast series, please contact us. You can email us at wovoicesonline at gmail.com or via our website, womeninoptometry.com, on Facebook at WL Magazine, or through Twitter or Instagram at WomenODs. See you next time.